Yeah. I'm looking for a transporter. Welcome to Now Playing's Transporter Retrospective Series. Toss him a seatbelt. Hosted by Arnie. You really want to play superhero, don't you? Jerry. So much can drive. Yes, he can. And Jacob. People will always need guys like me, right? Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new Transporter movie review. It's playtime for me. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. With you, it's always complicated. Very hush-hush stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Trust him on this one. Now drive. Set it off. Today, we're discussing The Transporter, not The Transformer, <laughs> starring Jason Statham, Shu Key, Francois Roland, Matt Schultz, directed by Louis Leterrier. No, no, that's for Transporter 2. This has got a Hong Kong one, the first one. We will talk about it. Okay. I remember seeing an Asian name up there. <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> This is Artie. I may be a bastard, but I'm still the co-host of Now Play. All right, Artie, rule number two, no names. All right, I'll break it this one time. Hey, this is Jerry. Happy to be back. And this is the host who, oddly enough, does need his mouth to pee. Jacob. <laughs> thought you needed somebody else's mouth to pee. Jacob. Well, it's not that kind of podcast. Let's just leave it to the listener's imagination. No, we're PG-13 this time, unless you're listening to us overseas where we're NC-17, because that's how the transporter rolls. Wow, this got an <laughs> NC-17, the original European cut? Well, not an NC-17, but it's a much more graphic rating overseas than what was released here in the States. We're going to talk about it all as we go through the three transporter films existing, leading up to the transporter refueled. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, Arnie. Rule number one, once the deal's made, it's final. We talked about three movies. You told me how long they were when we were recording. You didn't say anything about a reboot. No, Jerry, you knew you were signing up for the long haul because really, rule number four is never start a movie series you can't finish. Uh, isn't there a rule number three, never open the sequel? <laughs> I feel that is the lesson I'm now playing, but <laughs> here we are. Who's who here? Because I know for me, I'm pretty much a newbie. I was told that this was a great franchise. I watched the first one years ago when I was in college. I don't remember a single thing about it. I remember turning that DVD off and cursing whoever told me it was a good movie, but... Who knows? It's been over a decade since I've seen it. So maybe it will come off different. I have different taste in movies now, but I remember not being one over to check out the other sequels. I'm sort of the in-between. I'm not a fan of the franchise because I've only seen this first movie. And I saw it right when it came out on video back in 2003. But what I am is I'm a Jason Statham fan. I've seen many of his movies. I like the persona he, because he pretty much plays the same character in every movie, right? But I've seen him <laughs> yes. in you know, various things from Snatch to The One to War to Italian Job. I mean, I, I just, I enjoy just the bad dude persona he brings. I really wish they had written a role for him in Furious 7. I was a little disappointed by that. Yeah, I think we all were if you go and listen to that <laughs> review. It, it was a letdown. I, I do agree. Like, Jason Statham, I get excited because I love the stuff he did with Guy Ritchie. 
I love the Crank films, but then he's like done Expendables and like he's someone that I feel like I really want to love, but he's done a lot of stuff that has let me down. Yeah, Jerry, you mentioned a lot of movies. I'm like, yeah, seen it. It sucks. Yeah, seen it. It sucks. Specifically The Italian Job. I mean, that one, it's not his fault, but that's a piece of shit movie that Edward Norton like was just ruining. Well, I disagree. I I enjoyed The Italian Job. I think I mentioned that when we talked Mark Wahlberg during Age of Extinction last year, but I enjoy it. It's a fun movie. I've seen it more than once. We're not here to defend that, but... (laughs) No, we're here because of me to talk about The Transporter. Now, I'm not a hardcore fan of this series, but I saw the first one a couple years ago. I'll admit, kind of like Jacob, I was hard-pressed to remember what it was about other than a lot of fighting and a lot of driving, but I also like Jason Statham. I've been meaning to catch up on the Transporter sequels. It's just been something I want to do, but we're kind of busy doing Now Playing, and I'm writing with Jacob and Stuart and Marjorie the Now Playing book. I'm watching well over 100 movies for Now Playing, so when will I get the time to watch Transporter 2 and 3? Hey, there's a reboot! Let's make it part of my job. So no, I haven't seen the others, but I liked the first one well enough to want to seek them out. And they have a great reputation. I mean, you talked about all these films you saw Jason Statham in. And like Jacob, I also saw him in the early Guy Ritchie stuff, Lockstock and Snatch. I don't remember him in them because he wasn't Jason Statham at that time. It was the transporter that made him a star and showed he was able to carry a film. It really was the transporter two where that was solidified. And then we started getting crank and bank job and all the rest, but it's this franchise that made him the action star. He is, it has a loyal following and it's done well enough to have three movies. The upcoming, it's not quite a reboot, but it is sort of a prequel. And there's a TV series. We talked a lot about Jason Statham. He's not in that reboot or sequel or whatever it's going to be. We should call out. It's going to be an all new person. Yes, it will. And <laughs> somebody who we're not nearly as familiar with. It's Ed Scrine, I think is how you would pronounce it. He did a couple episodes of Game of Thrones, and he's going to be in Deadpool. Oh, hey, there you go. But yeah, let's not worry about that reboot or prequel just yet. Let's talk about The Transporter. One thing that I didn't pay any attention to when I watched this originally was the pedigree behind it. It wasn't until The Incredible Hulk that Louis Leterrier started to be a name to me. Yeah, you keep saying he's the director of this one. He's on the second one. Why are you claiming he's the director here? Well, there was a little bit of question around who is the director. Corey Yoon was listed as the director initially on some releases. Yeah, the release I watched had his name. But that has been changed. And the release I watched listed Corey Yoon as the action director. And Louis Leterrier was the actual director. So Corey Yoon, he was doing the fights. He was doing the choreography. But... It was Louis Leterrier who was working on the story and working with the actors. So you're saying it's Corey Yoon. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of fighting in this, (laughs) so. It is so contested that Wikipedia seems to have just thrown their hands up in the air and listed both as director. One person's name that I did recognize this time, and yeah, Leterrier did sound familiar, and yeah, I did look it up. Oh, The Incredible Hulk, and he's Now You See Me, which... A lot of people love that film. I do. I'm not sure why. Okay, well, maybe someday. I know there's going to be a sequel. (laughs) Maybe we'll get there someday, but not a name that has 
sticks to my head, but one I recognize because we've done the Marvel stuff. But one of the writers, and it's French. I'm not quite sure how to say it. Luc Besson. <laughs> kind of just slur at the end of it to make it sound French. I think Americans call him Luc Besson. Yes. Besson. You would do the nasal thing with the on. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm American, so I'll say Besson. <laughs> this is not a name I would have recognized. I recognize it now because I've seen quite a few of his films. I haven't liked many of them. I, you know, he did The Fifth Element. I kind of like that as a quirky sci-fi, but he also did Lucy, which, hey, if you saw 2001 A Space Odyssey and you're like, wouldn't it be great if the monolith had tits and more <laughs> explosions and shooting? Well, Lucy is the movie for you. It will satisfy those desires. Like Taxi. I don't know if you've seen Taxi starring Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah. Awful film. I watched 10 minutes of it and was done. I don't know if I even finished that movie, but yeah, it's based on a French series of films. I think there's four of them that Luc Besson has been behind. Taken. Like Taken 2 is like the biggest film to come out of a European production. Like this guy has done a ton of stuff, but not a ton of stuff that I've liked. We're going to differ on that one, although I'll kind of agree with you about Lucy. I watched it, you know, I would give that a weak recommend. No, a lot of his stuff I think I would give a weak recommend if I have to come down to it, but it's not stuff I want to go back to and watch. Let me just say, I worship at the man's feet for Leon the Professional. Right there, a perfect movie that I just love. I cannot express enough positive feelings about that movie. To date, I think it's Portman's best acting job, too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to review that once we watch the prequels this winter. Nobody's going to argue with me on that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> the fifth element I saw just because of him and Bruce Willis. And I know a lot of people like that movie. I don't know why. <laughs> I cannot stand that movie. I thought it was intriguing, but not great until Chris Tucker showed up and became the Chris <laughs> Tucker show. And I was like, okay, but Luc Besson is really the creative impetus behind all the things we're going to see with the Transporter film. I mean, he produces a ton of films, an absolute ton. But in the case of all of the Transporter films, and yes, Taken and Taken 2 and Taken 3, he's not only the producer, he's also the screenwriter. And so, really, he's the driving force. I looked already at the transporter refueled to see if Besson was still behind it. Because, yeah, it may be a no-name actor literally behind the wheel. But if Luke Besson is back there, at least there's going to be a continuity of script, of character, of theme that I would look for. I haven't seen all of his stuff. I think it would be years to see everything he's been involved with. But... Yeah, I like the man a lot, and he still gets a pass from me all these years later because of The Professional. He's responsible for that taxi movie, Arnie. I don't know. You might have to rethink it. <laughs> I don't think he's responsible for the American taxi film. There would have been no American if those French films weren't so popular. All right, well, he did write and produce that one. I have to give it to you. But he's done so much, he gets a pass on that one. How about that? Like I said, his stuff would get a lot of weak recommends probably from me. He definitely has a style that I recognize now, and I saw it as I watched The Transporter this time, That where I think I got it more because I knew his pedigree that I didn't get the first time I watched this film. Now, what was 
was interesting to me is that apparently, and I didn't know this, I never knew these two things were connected, but apparently Luc Besson was inspired. Have you guys ever heard of the BMW film series called The Hire? No, I don't think I'm rich enough to watch those. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, in addition to being a Jason Statham fan, I'm a huge BMW fan. One of the reasons I watched Piers Brosnan 007 movies in the 90s is because the Golden Eye had a BMW Z3 and Tomorrow Never Dies had a 750IL and World Is Not Enough has had a Z8 and I wanted to see what they did with those cars. I'm a huge BMW fan. You must appreciate those Fast and Furious films on a whole different level than we did. Yeah, I'm just happy we have a gearhead here now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? I don't race. I'm not a mechanic, but I've owned some fast cars and I, I like to drive. But in 2001, I actually bought a BMW 330Ci, brand new, gorgeous, fast car, loved it to death. And I don't know, about six months later, I received in the mail a DVD of this series of movies. It's called The Hire. And what it is, it stars Clive Owen. They eventually broke them down to two seasons, but they're essentially promotional movies that BMW commissioned to be made. And Clive Owen plays the driver. You know, he's not named. He's just known as the driver. And each one is filmed. They're like eight to 10 minutes long. Each one's got a different director, but, you know, Ang Lee directed one of them. Guy Ritchie directed one. You had, like, well-known guest stars, like Madonna was in the Guy Ritchie one, and Forrest Whitaker was in one, Mickey Rourke. Stellan Skarsgård was in one, for instance. And I got this DVD in late 2001, watched it, and I was like, wow, that was really cool. So Clive Owen played a driver, and he would follow this person or try to get this person safely from here to here. Or he would, and the one with Madonna, his job was to get her from, like, an airport to her show. I mean, it was just him driving a BMW in really cool ways and it was a different car to everyone so you know they're 10 minute commercials for bmw that sounds a hell of a lot cooler than the steve winwood cd i was sent for buying a ford escort well you know i didn't get any movies or cds when i bought my honda (laughs) you know this was like a big thing for bmw they did a few more in 2003 and a few car companies kind of mimicked it but they stopped doing them because they're as you imagine kind of expensive to make but they were excellent driving movie. So if you were into a good car chase or some stunt driving, these things were fantastic. I watched it in 2001. I've watched it several times since. You know, one of the first lines in Wiki is that Luc Bezon was inspired by the Hire series to create this. And I can totally see that now. Yeah, I haven't heard of the Hire. They sound pretty cool. I probably can't afford to watch them if they're not on YouTube. If you have to buy a BMW to see them, yeah, not going to ever see them. No <laughs> retrospective there. You can actually get the DVDs on eBay for like eight bucks. Okay. That I would highly recommend. That's got to piss BMW owners off. Nah, I just got mine. I didn't pay it for a $50,000 car. I just paid eight bucks on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, 14 years later, sure. Well, I didn't know it was inspired by the hire, but I see a lot of Luc Besson in this. I mean, this feels inspired by The Professional, and it feels inspired by a film he did not that much earlier, The Kiss of the Dragon. I think Luc Besson basically has one crime film and he keeps making it. Well, then let's find out what the story is here. That same story he keeps telling. Arnie, give us a plot. In The Transporter, Jason Statham plays an ex-special ops soldier named Frank Martin. Disillusioned with the government work, Frank moved to Nice, France, where he has a new career, a driver for hire. And I don't mean he works for Uber. If you want a getaway car for a bank robbery or stolen goods transported, Frank's your man. He lives by three rules. Never change the deal. No names. And never open the package. But when Frank is hired by a criminal named Wall Street, played by Matt Schultz, 
to carry a large satchel, the driver breaks his rules. He opens the package and finds a young woman inside named Lai. Frank still delivers the girl, but since he knows what was in the bag, Wall Street has him transport one other item, a briefcase with a bomb intended to kill the driver. Frank survives through luck and goes on the warpath against Wall Street. He uses his martial arts skills to beat up most of Wall Street's goons and rescues Lai, who tells him Wall Street is involved in human trafficking and he's expecting a crate of Chinese slaves that night. Wall Street's partner happens to be Lai's father. Frank is arrested for attacking Wall Street, but police inspector Tarconi knows Frank's heart is in the right place, so he sets the driver free. And single-handedly, Frank rescues the Chinese and kills Wall Street, though Lai has to kill her own father to save Frank's life. And with the slaves now free, Frank is exonerated from his charges by the inspector as credits roll. So right now, I think I can say, these aren't movies where we're going to be going deep into the plots. I think we're going to be discussing a lot about filmmaking technique, we're going to be discussing story, but wow, I sat down to do a plot summary on this movie, and it's not a very long movie to begin with, and it's really 80% action, 20% reason for that action. I think the movie does a good job of at least setting up who Frank is with this initial job that's meaningless, has nothing to do with anything. But we need to see something like that to understand the rules, understand kind of what his character is a little bit about, kind of how bad of a dude he is, and certainly his driving skill. Yeah, I do love this setup. Like, he pulls up to pick up these bank robbers. There's one extra one. He has this whole speech. You know, you don't change the deal. I set my shocks for a certain amount of weight. And if we want to get away, we got to, you know, I can't pull this extra weight. They're lucky nobody ate a pizza on the way. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it had a whole lot of kilos, just a pizza, but it sets up Statham as like this badass character. And like, he's got this James Bond-like car even with a key code that he's got to punch in to start the ignition. He could switch his plates out. It's a cool setup. I'm intrigued by this setup. Like, where's this going to go? He seems like a badass with all his rules and he's so orderly and... You know, he makes one of the robbers get shot in the head so they could get rid of the, pun intended, dead weight. That's, you know, the one thing I will start challenging, and to me, I'm going to have probably a theme on this podcast of about things that are just very implausible. And my first thing is... The entire movie, right? Well, <laughs> more specifically, though, as a car guy who, like, appreciates a car, I don't want somebody getting shot in my car. I mean, you got that little splatter on the back windshield. He kind of wipes it down with the Windex or whatever, but... Yeah, we've all seen Martin in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. That ain't happening like that. <laughs> I mean, he does pull over so one of the crooks could puke outside of the car because he doesn't <laughs> want it in his car. It is weird that he wants blood all over it, though. He doesn't mind that. Well, a couple of things here. First of all, this gets down to this film series being almost completely bloodless. This is a, I would say, a soft PG-13. There's a lot of violence and there's people getting shot, but there's not copious amounts of blood. This is not Marvin's brain splattered all over the car and having to go get the garbage bag and the Windex and the wolf to clean it up. This was, it looked like a squirt of Windex on the back windshield, just red dripping down. And that's going to go on throughout the entire film. A few places I can feel it. And yes, there is the international cut, not released on Blu-ray, but was released on DVD. It has a few frames here, a few frames there of more violence. It extends some of the fights. Frank gets more violent. At one point in a fight, Frank starts stabbing people, and they cut that out, because that was a little too violent for PG-13. But I didn't mind that. But I do like this character in this opening scene, to go back to your point, Jacob. What I see is 
a combination of James Bond with The Professional. I mean, the way Jean Reno was completely unflappable. I mean, I just remember from that movie, someone's coming up, somebody serious. And this guy is to driving what The Professional is to killing. I was really getting a born identity feel off this, but that came out the same year. They may have been inspired by the books, though. I kind of like how they portray Frank as, as being pretty smart. I mean, he has that car code, you know, that he turns a car off. And it's like, hey, you can't kill me. I'm the only one who can start the car. And, you know, you kind of wonder, hey, could they have just killed him while they were driving, pushed him out, took the car? Yeah, sure, whatever. But, I mean, you know, this is trying to set up that... He's a few steps ahead of the people he works for. He sets up these rules so he doesn't get involved. So he's really smart and deliberate about how he stages his profession. I think it just overall sets him up as sort of that triple threat guy. He's a great driver. He's really a bad dude. And, and he's smart. He can handle himself in so many different ways. Unfortunately for me, like I like this setup, but it quickly goes downhill. And I got to say, it's stuff that I associate with Besson, like, it almost goes into the slapstick territory. It makes me think, you know, of the fifth element, like these burglars, like the way they're being jostled around in that car. I'm like, is this supposed to be funny? Is this a comedy now? They got this awful, and this upset me through the entire film. This has an awful score. <laughs> bad, bad, like Euro trash, techno music at times, like bad romance music, but the score, like I was a grumpy old man when we talked about all that bass heavy stuff and the Fast and the Furious. I was missing it at this point it was so tinny and i just couldn't get adrenalized by this opening chase the music in this is really in my mind not just bad but weird and inappropriate yeah it is distracting <laughs> yeah and one thing that we have to keep in mind is this is not a huge budget film this was made for only 20 million dollars give or take and I think they really cheaped out on the music. They've got hip-hop of the time, some people who I haven't thought about since 2002, like Missy Mistamina Elliott. Yeah. But mostly, anytime the music plays, it is dragging my attention throughout. I'm with you guys. The music didn't do much for me. I, it didn't go as far as taking me out, but I kind of, especially probably in 2002, I had this, okay, it's European, it's 2002. I probably didn't pay much attention then, but yeah, it's it's odd. It would be interesting to see if someone would ever take the effort to rescore it, uh, you know, if, if there's any opportunity or reason to do that, but no, nah, I, I wasn't digging it either. It may actually help my opinion if they rescored this. Because every time music started, I started writing notes down. Like, that's <laughs> how bad it was for me and how distracting it was. Like, I want to get into these chases. Like, this opening one, I don't know. It doesn't feel well shot. They brought in an action guy, you're saying, Arnie, just to direct this kind of stuff. I don't know. Maybe because I've been spoiled with The Fast and the Furious and Mad Max this year for now playing this, it didn't do much for me. And that's why I like the comedy of which you complained. I agree. This car stuff isn't top tier car stuff. I like it more than some of the stuff in like Fast and Furious 7 because the vast majority of things we see here are completely practical and Jason Statham's doing his own stunts, if not all his own driving. I appreciate the visceral feel it has, but yes, this does not even hold a candle to the first Fast and Furious film. When I finished watching The Transporter, I did not go out and drive like a maniac. I drove rather safely. So I do see a problem there, but the levity of the scenes when Frank's rolling up the window and the guy's getting caught in it and one guy's falling out and the fact that when this all ends, he drops them off at another car 
And on the TV, they're like, if it wasn't for the lack of skill of their driver, they would have gotten away. <laughs> I'm enjoying the mood. It's telling me that this is going to be lighthearted popcorn fare and to take it as such. And I think that goes along with the bloodlessness I was talking about. If you made this uber gory R-rated, then the comedy would feel more out of place. As it is, it's just lighthearted fun. Yeah, to me, this is a part of a subgenre of action movies of like almost comic booky in terms of like, yeah, there are so many things in this movie that's implausible and you could view it as a, yeah, right, that could never happen. And I don't subscribe to turn your brain off because I never suggest that. But there's times where you just want to fantasize and just say, oh, yeah, it'd be so cool if somebody could be that slick or be that awesome. I mean, I watch a movie like this and say, man, I want to be Jason Statham when I grow up. You know, that's how I react to something like this. And, you know, the driving is not fast and the furious, but that's almost really, you know, glorified in a completely different way. I, having actually driving a BMW at this time, yeah, I probably took some inspiration from this movie to just be not Dominic Toretto type of nitrous. You know, that's a different type of hot rodding than what the transport is doing. And that it's more sophisticated and skill and not just how fast can you do the quarter mile. No, it's it's got a little bit more sophistication behind it. And I totally walked away with that. Not to say this is a probably another theme I'll have here. It's like we're talking about a driver and a transporter, and he doesn't drive a whole heck of a lot in this movie, truth be known, at least not the way I would think the first movie in the franchise would show him doing but so i walked away from this movie thinking yeah that's pretty hot stuff and i guess that's part of my problem with the humor is yeah jason statham's character is so suave and sophisticated and so cool and then you juxtapose it with this type of humor i don't know i'm having a hard time getting the tone and arnie you're, i think the pg-13 is distracting me i think hard r tarantino guy ritchie with lock stock and with snatch like those are hard r-rated films but they're also funny and I, that violence that extreme violence i think punctuates the jokes even more here every punch is being pulled like literally there's at one point frank's gonna have a gun and he's gonna shoot around a guy when he's trying to take out all the criminals like it's hard for me to reconcile this tone with frank and with the rest of the film all right, I will grant you that. When you look at Lockstock and you look at those films, that does work. But I'd consider those almost pure comedies versus here where they're trying to provide some straight action. As for Statham being so stoic, he's the straight man. Everybody else around him is goofy. I mean, we're soon after this bank heist introduced to Inspector Tarconi. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be the nemesis. This is going to be... To use a Ghostbusters analogy, the Walter Peck to <laughs> Jason Statham's Bill Murray. But no, he's just a goofy cop who's going to make some funny faces. Everybody else is here for the jokes. And it's not all that different a vibe from Crank, which is a film I know you love. Horror rated, though. Like, there is gruesome violence in there. That helps. Like, when you have strippers being shot and their silicones leaking out of their breast, like, you're not going to get that in this PG-13 film. I think the comedy to me here is being, I think we're probably overemphasizing a little bit, because I think all the comedy with the bank robbers is just to show that hey, these guys are a bunch of schmucks. Frank Martin is two or three steps ahead of them. They're a bunch of goofballs. They don't know what they're doing. It's the stark contrast between how cool Statham is. And the inspector, he's comical, but there's nothing yucky, yucky, funny about him. He's kind of comical because you know he totally gets everything that 
Jason Statham is doing or what kind of guy he's in, but he doesn't have the evidence. He can't prove it. He knows, you know, he's kind of funny in a sarcastic sort of way, but it's very different than the quote unquote comedy we got with the robbers. Yeah, no, you go from slapstick to this very dry European sense of humor. I'm surprised you knew what Tarconi was saying. Like besides Statham (laughs) and the character Wall Street, who I think has a Southern accent, like (laughs) so weird. I don't get it, but I don't understand almost anyone else in this film like it was so hard with french accents and chinese accents like i was just straining to understand what's being said in most of this film oh i got i think nearly every word of dialogue of course except when they weren't speaking english but the rest of it yeah i i didn't have a problem with that here the way we have in some previous films but then again there's not a lot of dialogue in here to begin with And most of it is spoken either by Frank or later on by Lai, both of whom speak clearly. And of course, Wall Street, Matt Schulz from Fast and Furious 1 and 5. I mean, there's a British accent, a slight Chinese accent, and then, yeah, a southern kind of rockabilly accent going on. It's what we call American. (laughs) He speaks American. Yeah, that is true. Besson probably wanted him just because it was like this stereotypical American accent. I mean, he is named Wall Street. Yeah, Yeah, I actually had to freeze frame to find out he had a real name. There's one shot where they're printing out like his police record, and I see it's Darren Betancourt. We'll stick with Wall Street. I mean, this film, it was hard for me to get any of the names. I don't think they say many of them besides lie because they're going to use that as a pun later on. But most of these people, I didn't even catch their names in the film. I'm not sure they ever say Wall Street, actually. (laughs) No, I I only knew Wall Street because of the credits. And I would like to think that it's just a whole big joke on rule number two. To me, that'd be really funny if they intentionally never gave names for people because of rule number two. (laughs) That's a good point. But what is Wall Street's deal? Like, he's going to contact Frank for another job. Frank's going to pick up this package. I thought Wall Street was maybe a sex trafficker. Like when we see his place, there's like women in the pool and they're kind of grabbing them. We were going to find out that there's a body in this bag that Frank is transporting. Alive, not a dead body. No, it's a live body that's going to move around. All right. This is the one plot point that I just don't quite get. I mean, as I said in the plot summary... We've got Wall Street involved in human trafficking. Maybe France has a huge Chinese slavery, like they work the grapevines or whatever to make the wine. I don't know. Maybe that's a thing. Well, I mean, we have it in America and you wouldn't necessarily think it. So yes, France could have it. And isn't this a theme of Taken with uh, Liam Neeson's daughter and the friend? Those are sex slaves, though, like in Taken. Yeah, but it was in France, too. So it's like, and they're all connected to Luc Besson. Yeah, Besson, because he just changes the names. In all his scripts, apparently. Yeah, so it's. Uh, I guess he's got something out for France. I'll go with there's Chinese slaves, and it may be sex slavery. It may be any kind of slavery there. But that's not why Lai's being kidnapped. That's what I'm trying to get at, is Lai's father, Mr. Kwai, is working with Wall Street. They're the masterminds of this Chinese slavery ring. So why is Lai put in a bag to be taken to Wall Street. What's the point of this? She was going to tell the authorities and they caught her. 
I don't know. Why couldn't they just take her back to Wall Street's place? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, that, and that's the only thing I could think of too, Jacob, is that she's obviously against this deal and she's probably been actively working some things with either against the father or talking to the father of, hey, don't do it. I'm not going to let you do it. And I guess he somehow wants to take her out of the equation. Why she's going from wherever they start to Wall Street's house I'm not 100% sure. And back to the implausibility type thing, I just wondered, it's like, I know the transporter does this type of thing, but do you hire a third-party outside guy to transport a hostage? How can he not look in the bag? Well, I mean, that's his rule, is not look in the bag. I think he sleeps at night not knowing what's in there. And I think that's a big problem for me is, okay, he has all his rules, and that's a big thing for him, are his rules. And this goes with any movie, like, where they go against something they believe, like, why in this instance? For a good story, you have to have a reason for him to want to open the bag. I'm sure he's transported bodies before. Like, he's willing to take bank robbers and make them shoot each other. Like, he doesn't have a problem with that. So why does he break the rule this time? This film doesn't give me a reason except, oh, the bag moves. And he kind of ignores it at first. That's funny. But then he eventually goes and buys lie like an orange juice to drink. I actually took it as a, and this is me interpolating the data here, but I take it as maybe he hasn't ever transported a live body. And this is something that really caught him off guard. I mean, we we see him later, and I won't jump too far ahead, but he's willing to walk away a few different times in this whole process until he really comes around to the human trafficking thing. And I think there's some things that probably bug him. He's involved with nefarious people, but he's generally a decent guy, let's say. So the whole concept, like, oh crap, I've got a hostage here. Is it okay? Is she okay? He okay? What is it? Oh crap, what have I really got myself into? Because he hesitates. He doesn't want to do it at first. I don't know why he, in the relatively short distance he has from point A to point B, feels the need to, you know, feed her an orange juice, but... (laughs) <laughs> I think it's starting to build the character. It's like, hey, you know, Frank's not into human trafficking and hostages. Maybe they've crossed the line. He wants to kind of make sure it's okay. I, I don't know. I'm giving the film some things here, but it, it does start leading to, hey, yeah, if you're human trafficking a sea container full of hundreds of Chinese people to sell them into something, that's crossing a line that, that Frank's, you know, he's a military guy. He protects freedom, right? And he's gotten into some things, but he's not crossing this line. So I think it's building us to what's into his character. But none of that's in the film. You got to admit that. Yes, I do admit that as well. But I see Jason Statham here playing Frank as the typical anti-hero, but in a, you know, superheroish kind of role. How many of these types of films have we seen somebody like The Punisher being like, I'm going to walk away. Oh, they're doing something that bad? Okay, I'm going to stick around and fight them. I mean, that's the vibe I got off of here. But let's not forget, the one thing I'll disagree with you on is hostages. Because he opens the bag, and yes, he does let her use the bathroom. And yes, he does feed her an orange juice, which is probably what caused her to need to use the bathroom. (laughs) But he still delivers the package. He puts her back in the bag, fights some cops really quickly, and still does the job without any hesitation. The only reason anything else happens is because Wall Street decides since Frank opened the bag, he can't be trusted, and so we're going to bomb him. How does Wall Street know he opened the bag at that point? Because he gives a look. Wall Street is that good. Statham carries the bag to him, which doesn't mean he opened it. I'm getting it out for you. Here it is. Hey, by the way, take this briefcase. I thought that was weird. Because he later says, you open the package. How does he know that? 
Or do you just assume because it's a human kicking in your trunk? Maybe he noticed the slit in the tape that Frank cut to feed her. But he didn't open the bag yet. It's weird. It's weird. We are dealing with the best of the best here, guys. We have the world's <laughs> best driver and the world's most observant human trafficker. The zipper wasn't in the exact right place when the bag was closed. Yeah. Again, we could hypothesize and give this film a lot. It's not explained. We're Wall Street's people following Frank and saw this all happen. Who knows? Well, I didn't see any other cars on the road, but somehow he knows. And like so many of these films, Frank is perfectly fine dropping off Lie. We still don't know why Lai was kidnapped, right? I mean, we just don't know. And to your point, I think he's still conflicted. So, yeah, it's a hostage, may not feel comfortable about it. He still does the job because he probably doesn't want to break all three of his rules simultaneously, which is part of my problem. I mean, yeah, I kind of wish the rule-breaking, it's so emphasized, here's the rules, here's the rules, here's the rules, and, yeah, I don't know where we're at. 20 minutes later in the movie, he's breaking them, and it just seems like it's too soon for him to start breaking the rules that they're taking so much time to establish, but I guess we got to get going and it's only a 92 minute movie but i think he's again perfectly fine with the rules except when they blow up his car and now it's personal you blow up that bmw which he gets out of by just luck he's sipping on another juice buying a pepsi or whatever he's buying two pepsis for the police officers by the way he goes back to the vending machine and gets two more sodas He's going to give them to the police officers. I do love that in France that they have straws at their vending machines. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I've never seen them, but okay. <laughs> I didn't either, actually, when I was in Paris. But hey, this is Nice. I've not been in Nice. Well, that's true. I've not been through the whole country, but I don't want to skip over the two police officers too quickly. And it becomes a little bit of a question from the inspector later. But how did you guys feel about, you know, we see Frank beat up the two police, but we don't know what he does with them. He puts them in the trunk. And because he does that, number one, I don't know what his plan is. But number two, they are murdered. They are killed because of the explosion in the car. And for a split second, I thought to myself, oh, man, you know, Frank's very much responsible for their death in a lot of ways. He obviously didn't blow up the car, but eh, that I wish they would have treated differently. I was actually shocked that they came back to it and like the inspector addresses it. Like I thought it was totally going to get dropped. And it's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, we killed some cops back there. Oh well. You would think that with the fact that Frank didn't report the stolen and they found the license plate that that's enough to send a SWAT team down there to take him in. Nope, just the inspector is going to stroll in the next morning and it was actually the scene where Frank Martin goes through the door after the guy looks for the people. I remember that bit very specifically from the commercial when the movie was in theaters. And when the movie came out in theaters, you know, my son was like 16 months old. We weren't going to a lot of movies. But I knew when it came out, I wanted to see that. And that scene alone sold me. It's like, oh, that's awesome. I got to see this. And he drives a BMW. So it kind of broke my heart a little bit when they blew the thing up. This scene really sets the stage. We're now about a half an hour into it, and this is when the setup is done. We know who Frank is. He's gonna come ninja kick down this door, <laughs> like flying through the air, and then he beats up all these guys and kills many of them with a gun. I was surprised about that, but what really got me wasn't just through the door, but when those two guys with little hatchets come after him. That is an awesome fight, and I got a vibe off of this, and I wanted to see if either of you got it. The way Frank fights, he very rarely uses a gun. He does here in the beginning, but he's like grabbing things like light fixtures to tangle up the other people's weapons, and they're doing this move, pause, move, pause kind of dance. And it was reminding me a hell of a lot of the way Jackie Chan does fights and things like Rumble from the Bronx, where he's not exactly lethal, he's just 
using whatever's around him, a normally non-lethal implement to beat up people with much more dangerous weapons. Yeah, I definitely got a Jackie Chan vibe off of these fight scenes. They're all shot, it seems like, in very tight spaces. Yeah, they'll shoot some guns and then they run out of ammo. So then I guess instead of putting new clips in, they grab axes. (laughs) And yeah, it's in this very tight space. It feels Jackie Chan-esque. Statham pretty much pulls it off. I've always been known to be the critical one when it comes to these kind of fight scenes. A lot of quick takes, but he pulls it off pretty well. Like, it's not as bad as some other action films I've seen where you get half-second cuts during fight scenes because they just can't do it. I'm trying to think of logistics. Like, we go from guns to axes, and then we're going to have guys run in with guns again. I mean, Statham, yeah, he picks up a gun at this point and shoots around a guy to empty the clip, I guess, and then goes back to punching people. I wish there was more coherent plotting in these action scenes. Arnie, you mentioned Rumble in the Bronx. One of my favorite movies, period. Not even action movies. I love Rumble in the Bronx. Me too. Seen so much Jackie Chan, and I see it in this movie. It's kind of that, you know, how Jason Statham interacts with the environment. It's like, oh, I need something. Hey, I'll just pull this off the wall and hit him, or I'll throw this guy through this window, and I'll jump through this pole, and I'll come around this way. I mean, he's using the environment very much like Jackie Chan does to kind of manipulate the fight and, and get advantage that way. So, I, And I think he does it very well. Uh, Statham, and I don't know exactly what his martial arts background is, but he pulls off some really very solid kicks, very crisp, very Hollywoodish too, by the way. But I mean, you know, he pulls off very well. And I jokingly refer to this as like, you know, Jackie Chan meets Fast and the Furious and it's like, hey, I'm in. I'll watch any of them with that kind of combination. Yeah, before this movie, Statham was already trained in MMA fighting and jujitsu. And he uses that to good effect. And he did a lot of his own driving here. I like that realism here that he's his own stuntman. It does take me back to Jackie Chan or, yeah, some of those other action stars. They don't even have to be martial artists, just action stars who are in there doing their own work. I mean, an Arnold, a Tom Cruise, you know? One of the things that's kind of funny about The Italian Job, when it came out on DVD, I bought it because I love the movie. And one of the specials on that DVD was about all the people learning how to do the stunt driving for the the Mini Coopers and everything at the end. And they said, like, yeah, Jason Statham already knew what to do. (laughs) He didn't need to be trained. He was so good. He already just could do whatever he needed to do. It was Charlize Theron and people like that who was, like, learning it from scratch. And Jason Statham could have trained them all. I mean, Arnie, I know you're joking with Tom. Cruise because of that Mission Impossible too, but hey, Statham has a scene here where like a gun's up in the air and he catches it behind his back and he shoots someone like all twisted around like that. I'm buying it here because of him, where I couldn't buy it with Cruise. Like, I like this action. I just wish it was better plotted. It it just seems all over the place. And the fact that Statham's going to use doors to block bullets, <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah, Jacob, that is an annoying thing for me with gunfights. I don't traditionally like action movies about gunfighting, especially when they suddenly can't penetrate drywall, doors, paper. I mean, you know, it's just, it is a little annoying. That was in my notes too. I would be perfectly fine with the bullets not penetrating the door if they were low caliber bullets and it was a thick door. Yeah, if there are doors to the outside, which mm-hmm. are solid wood, these yeah. are inside doors, which are hollow. And we see holes getting blown in the doors. Obviously, the bullet is going through 
where is the bullet going <laughs> into Frank, I would imagine? I mean, there's lots of questions. At one point, Frank is going to steal a car from Wall Street. He's beaten everyone up. Wall Street's not there. He hotwires a car, drives away. You find out Lie is in the car, but she is tied to a rolling desk chair. Like, I don't even know how she got into the car like that and was able to hide for so long. Like, no, that doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how she got in the car. When Frank first burst in, we see one of the goons is like, I don't know if he's torturing, teasing, standing around, lie in the basement. He hears the action happen. Again, it would be nice if we saw it. Maybe he moved the body in the car. There are multiple, multiple cuts of this, depending on what country you're in. Some are a little bit longer. Maybe they answer this question. But you know what? At the time of watching, I'm having so much fun with the fighting, I didn't think about it. For me, it's a second watching level of observations. Mm -hmm. Me too. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's so much fun. I'm not complaining anything, but you do, you step back with your critic eye and you think, you know, they just needed to position Frank in a slightly different place, three feet over, and this wouldn't even be a, an issue. So it's just... Tension and detail, a little effort, but I'm with you. I'm having so much fun with this, it's not taking me out at all. And, and see, that's my problem. The music is so bad. Like, at one point when he's fighting these guys, it sounds like circus music being played on a Casio <laughs> keyboard. It's, oh, going back to that slapstick stuff, I don't know what I'm supposed to think. If Yeah, if this was a little tighter plotted like these action scenes i could go with it but there's just enough to distract me where instead of enjoying it i'm critical of it and being annoyed by a desk chair getting into the car and doors blocking bullets but the funny thing about the music in this particular scene doesn't frank turn the music off yeah he yes. does that from time to time yeah isn't this actually music that's happening somewhere in the room <laughs> It's like what they were listening to in the car before he stole it. Yeah. But he does kick out lie. Like you mentioned, Jerry, there are many times he's ready to walk away from this, and that seems like one of them. Yeah, but they're playing that music. I got love. Like, so <laughs> obvious. Like, yes, he's going to turn around and go get her. Yeah, and I think it's a slow build. I mean, we said earlier that, like, hey, the movie doesn't tell us this. But no, but it is what I got out of it. I'm not feel like I'm completely making things up. It's a slow burn to, okay, crap, I can't just leave this girl tied in the middle of the road to a chair. They're going to find her. And okay, you know, I just, I can't abandon someone like that. I got to figure, and then later he's just like, okay, just tell me how much crap am I in? <laughs> I was wondering, what is going on with Lye? We're going to find out this is actually part of the plot, but she's like picking flowers from the garden and she's making mandolins, which for some reason Frank has a mold for. He didn't strike me as the culinary type, but yeah, he's let her stay at his place for the night. She's gotten into his stuff. She's gotten into his pants. <laughs> Well, that's going to come a little bit later after the house is blown up, but this is where we get a little bit of backstory about Frank. She goes through a box, and we see, like, a medal and some dog tags, and we, okay, this guy was military, so maybe he's not as bad as we thought he was. Well, and she's starting to realize that, hey, I can manipulate and use this guy to help me, and Frank recognizes that later. So I kind of like how she's just not playfully going through the stuff because she's just a goofy little girl. No, she's... She's actually doing her own level of intel. And she's playing games for, again, reasons I don't know. This doesn't come up here, but right now, Frank still doesn't know what she was captured for, why she was there. She's staying with him. She's cooking for him. She's faking out the inspector kind of poorly, but then they do come and fire missiles at his house. It's so weird because the inspector just leaves and like two minutes later... 
missiles are hitting the place. And they have this final missile that's like an A-bomb that just totally levels it. <laughs> Don't know why they didn't shoot that one first. And why does Frank have scuba tanks ready to go? Like, is he that good? He's just prepared and has a plan all the time. Like, I don't know. I guess he had a well in his house and there were scuba tanks there and they're just ready to go for a swim. I actually think that is just another piece of his character that he knows what kind of people he deals with and he's got a plan C and he he knows exactly where to go, how to get to a boat. I mean, it's kind of funny, but if you look at it as a, just a, you know, I don't look at it as a convenient plot contrivance. I look at it as like, Wow, this dude's Batman. I mean, he's got the moral equivalent of a bat cave he can go down into and escape Gotham. It's convenient. I gotta go with Jacob here. <laughs> I'm like, what? I mean, does he scuba dive out of his basement regularly? It's that there's two of them. Like, okay, I can get it. Maybe he's got one. He lives on the beach. I'll give you two. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you two. Like, they got the flippers on, you find out. Like, there's this big, long scene where it goes all National Geographic. Why they just scuba dive and swim? And I'm like, oh, do they put wetsuits on, too? Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Kind of. That's being generous. <laughs> well, that's kind of how I feel about Besson stuff that I've seen anyway. Like, Fifth Element is, like, ridiculous and spoiler. Love is the fifth element. Like, that's cheesy, but I kind of like it too that's how i feel with a lot of, like lucy that movie is just flat out dumb but it's kind of entertaining too like that's how i feel about the song like it, it's a fine line whether he wins me over or not with how ridiculous his stuff is but see i give it a pass because frank is so prepared and has so many loose ends tied up i don't question yeah is, is it silly oh yeah i mean i've already stated there's a level of implausibility in this movie throughout i mean you know, two cops get blown up. Frank is right there at the gas station where it happens. No one ID'd. Hey, there's this really tall, bald guy here earlier, too. I mean, no one could tie that together. I mean, it's all over. But to me, I just accept it as like, man, Frank is awesome. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is Frank is awesome. He is pretty unfallible. I mean, we're looking at a modern day Stallone or Schwarzenegger, one of those. I mean, you got to get back into that commando, tango and cash red heat kind of mentality and if you see that going on then yeah you can understand why some of the things happen the way they do and you know it's completely implausible but man those explosions at his house are really nice i'm disappointed though because i rewatched the trailers for this and it reminded me of something i completely forgot in one of the trailers one of the missiles comes into his kitchen and he knocks it away with like a metal tray that would have been awesome to leave in the film. Oh, I, it would have fit with what <laughs> yeah. I'm watching here. It wouldn't have surprised me. Yeah, Statham, Statham actually had it cut because he believed nobody would believe that happened. <laughs> but oxygen tanks in the basement? Okay. Hey, that could happen because we saw it happen. <laughs> the other thing just defies physics. But then after they get out of this, Lie comes out with her big lie <laughs> and says that Wall Street is involved in human trafficking and her parents are on that boat or her family is her father specifically is named why does she lie about that i mean she's half right there is human trafficking and her telling that story explains why she'd be in a bag i suppose because they're human traffickers and they're trafficking her i think they could be more efficient than one person at a time but <laughs> i don't understand why she feels she has to lie about her father when Human trafficking and alone is probably enough. Plus, she's going to bang Frank, so it's like, that's all you really needed to do, I think. 
<laughs> sleep with the guy and he probably would have gone with you as far as I can tell from this film. But yeah, it's like, oh, 400 people going to be sold into slavery? Nah. Oh, wait, your dad's in there? Okay, I'm on your side now. You're right, Arnie. That revelation happens after they go to the police station, talk to the inspector. So they have their moment together after they, I guess, try to find dry clothes in some stranger's house. I don't know. For a second, I was kind of half hoping that was just a second house Frank had. And he intentionally put the waters like, hey, I have a house here. I have a house here. And I, I could swim. Oh, I totally thought that, Jerry. I totally thought that. I'm like, oh, he's got a house with a boat all ready to go come on i kind of like to think that but i sort of took from that scene that now nah, they're just in some random person's house if that is frank's second home then that is totally awesome but anyway i just assumed that lie is getting in getting close obviously very close and she just feels the need of throwing the father thing in to make it very personal to her and that she's connected to Frank to make to really draw him in. And maybe she's sort of in some denial too, because her dad, as we find out, is not in the sea tainer. He's selling the sea tainer, or at least I don't know exactly what the arrangements is, but he's the one who's providing the slaves. By the way, what's up with that dude's hair? What's up with this bad plastic surgery? Well, that to me was just obvious, but I couldn't tell. Was that was that a rug? Was that a toupee? Was that just stapled? I couldn't tell what was going on with, with that hair. Whoever did Chris Tucker's here on the fifth element, I think did his hair as well. <laughs> but when the truth finally comes out, I mean, it's supposed to be this bum 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 betrayal, and I don't necessarily feel that. Yeah, I thought the revelation was going to be lie was also bad, and she was trying to manipulate Frank. I don't know, maybe there was millions of dollars in the container, maybe there was drugs, and she wanted to get it. Maybe she was a rival to Wall Street or something. I thought it was going to be something nefarious like that. No, she's still a good guy. She's still trying to do the right thing. She just told a little white lie about it. That's why I was saying like it was denial. So maybe that was, from her point of view, her dad was just a slave like the rest of them. But yeah, that, that's corny. I would have been really disappointed if Lie was... <laughs> yeah, I wanted to go Star Wars on that one. What she said was true. I would have been really disappointed if Lie ended up being completely a bad guy too. Because at this point, you know, when they knock out... Frank, when he's in that office and they realize that the dad is not in it, he's in on it. At some point, I actually do like, man, Frank, you fell so bad. You've been so gullible here, so gullible there. You broke your own rules. Now, how awesome do you feel? Eddie gets arrested for all his troubles. Oh, yeah. He's doing nothing right since he came out up from the water. But this is where we find out the inspector, like, really does know what's going on with Frank. Like, they take him to jail and he's like, this is going to take me a year to crack this case because Frank tells tells him what's going on with the slaves and he's like ah it's gonna take so long i gotta follow the book and frank's like oh, i could do it in less than 12 hours so he's <laughs> like all right like he knows this guy has certain skills to pay the bills yeah you kind of get the idea here that from the scenes previously the inspector's not stupid he's not naive he knows frank's in on something he probably either just doesn't have hard evidence or he Maybe going back to your Mission Impossible 3 review a little bit of like, hey, I don't want to bust Frank because Frank is working. He's an accomplice, yeah, technically, but I'm kind of interested in who Frank's working for and the people Frank's involved in. So it's probably better to be on Frank's good side, trust him a little bit because he is skilled, seems like a decent guy, but man, what can Frank connect me into? What can Frank actually help me with? And he certainly, I think the staging of him taking the inspector hostage is pretty funny, but the inspector must be a little naive because when he gets a, hey, take my gun, and then he gets to the boat and he's got like an arsenal on, he's like, all right, you're fine. Was that Frank's boat with all the guns in it? It has to be. Unless the French are like the best fishermen ever. <laughs> it's a very small boat to fight a very big war. <laughs> Except, yeah, they got tons of guns in them. I liked that scene. I just assumed it was his boat. I mean, 
he's very well paid for driving, so he could afford a boat. He could probably afford a bigger boat. <laughs> My question is, was there a stethoscope in there? Because he's going to drive to the dock. <laughs> he's going around from container to container with a stethoscope to like listen in to see if he could hear voices. I don't remember seeing a stethoscope. I don't know if I missed the scene, but I'm like, where did that come from? He stops at a pharmacy. That's the European cut, right? <laughs> Whatever the iTunes cut. I'm not making this up. There's a... Oh, okay. I'm not kidding, Jacob. I did not have that scene in, in the version I watched. Okay, there's a brief scene. It's only because I've been to Europe a few times I actually recognize this. He's walking in and out of a storefront that's got a green cross on it, which is a European symbol for uh, like a, a pharmacy. You go in there to get medical supplies and aspirin or painkiller, whatever you need. Yeah, I had that in mind as well. Yeah. No, I do remember that scene now. I didn't see him buy a stethoscope. I thought he was buying another orange juice or something. I didn't see what he bought. <laughs> no, he, he grabs a stethoscope off of like a rotating table display of them. The only thing I can't go with is that they have a rotating display of stethoscopes. <laughs> Yeah. It seems a very niche item. Okay, I totally missed that scene, and I thought he was just buying another Pepsi or something. <laughs> and this is where we're just now going to have the last 30 minutes of this film be action. The first 30 was set up, the second 30 was action punctuated with lie, and then this third act, last half hour, once Frank gets on the boat, it is just going to be pure ass-kicking in several locations. They go to the docks and start having a fight around all the containers there. And calling out the Jackie Chan thing, you know, he's using his shirt to like tie up some of the bad guys. He's doing a lot of Jackie Chan stuff here. That's so Rumble in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. That's taken right from Rumble in the Bronx. Something I don't think I've seen in any Jackie Chan movie, though, is where Jackie oils himself up like a greased pig so none of the bad guys could capture him. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, if this was a movie about, like, how homoerotic, like, action films are with all their machismo, like, this would be brilliant, but it's kind of silly until Frank puts on the bicycle pedals so he can walk <laughs> on the oil slick. I'm like, okay, like, that is out of control, funny, and I was able to go with that for some reason. I loved that. Yeah, I've never seen that. I've never seen someone pour oil on themselves so people couldn't physically grab them. That's kind of a cool technique. I don't think the bike thing would work, though. No, it wouldn't, but... It's just metal on oiled concrete, and you're just going to fall hard, I think. But I still enjoyed it. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I'm glad to see, Jacob, that you're finally able to kind of suspend your disbelief. It's taken me 80 minutes. <laughs> once we get to this level of fighting. And yeah, I was definitely thinking Jackie Chan with the shirt. That's classic Jackie Chan. I was also thinking Spider-Man when he strikes that pose on top of the moving bus. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. The leg out. And... <laughs> yeah, it came out the same year, yeah. Uh, that's true. But then the movie's got to lose me, and he's got to, like, hijack a crop duster to catch up to these containers. Like, it's just... And parachute it, like, that's a high-tech parachute. I don't think a crop duster's got, like, something with the paragliding hand so he could direct where he's going to land. Oh, that was in his boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I missed that scene too then. <laughs> okay, that one I made up. But then we do get into the Fast and the Furious with chasing down semis. Yeah, but it's not Fast and Furious. But there's two semis they're chasing, right? Yes! Yes, thank you! <laughs> was this back to Italian job or one's a decoy? I, I, I didn't know what happened to the second one. And you do notice the PG-13 cut because he's got this big fight with Wall Street in the cab of the truck. Again, they confine him Frank to very tight spaces in most of this movie to fight and they're fighting in the cab of this truck and you just see Wall Street thrown out and he kind of rolls down the street. The dummy looked like it got hurt 
as it rolled down the street. So you're assuming he's dead, but uh, I, you would want something. You want a close up. You want to see a definite kill, but I guess they can't do that with this PG-13 cut. I did read it's more gruesome in the European cut. You see him go under the wheel or something. Yeah, you do. Because in this one, he doesn't even die. Yeah, in the European cut, he's quite clearly dead. And I don't know, they should have found another way to kill him instead of just having him roll off the road. <laughs> well, to be clear, that would have clearly killed someone too in real life. I'm not sure in a transporter movie, but I took it that he was dead. Now, Arnie, did you see multiple cuts then? No, I wasn't able to get my hands on the other videos, but I was able to watch a lot of the cutscenes through YouTube. Gotcha. I assume the one I pulled off iTunes to rent was just the normal PG-13 cut. Yeah, and because I went Blu-ray, I should have gone DVD, didn't know until it was too late that the alternate cuts are on DVD, but not in high def. They're saving that for the box set. Nothing I know of is announced, but I wouldn't doubt it. They usually do a box set with a reboot. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they've got more than one planned. So we get to the end, and to me, the funniest line in the movie, and it's completely unintentional, but I, I can't imagine how people didn't laugh out loud at this. But at the end, the dad catches up. Mr. Kwai catches up with Frank. I would have thought once Wall Street's dead, the fighting's over, but no, Mr. Kwai, now you gotta be afraid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So to me, the funniest part of the movie is when he's got the gun on Frank and Frank's still super cool. It's like, nah, I'm not turning around. I'd like to see it come. And I mean, that's how we all want to go down, right? I never thought that was super cool. I thought Frank saw lie behind him. Frank's keeping this guy's attention, drawing it out until lie can get her shot out. Well, I think that probably happens at some point because he has to see her coming from the background, but he gets a little jolted by the gunshot. I think he thinks it's on him, but when he goes over the edge, he grabs something, which is kind of weird. He grabs, I guess, a sharp rock or something. He has it behind his hand, and I guess he's probably trying to position himself to do something with it. Never has an opportunity to, but to me, the funniest thing in this movie is when Mr. Kwai says, ah, she's young, she'll come around, and then you hear the gunshot. And with no <laughs> emotion or look on his face, he goes, I guess she's not going to come around. <laughs> yeah, because he thinks she's dead. Yeah, because he told his his lackey that, hey, if she tries to escape, shoot her, or, you know, he tells her, hey, I've had enough. Kill her if she tries to do anything. I don't know if I'm going to comment with the acting in this series too much. I do notice in the credits the next one has Keith, David, and Matthew Modine, so maybe I will. But I have to give the actor who plays Mr. Kwai some serious credit for that face acting right there, because he hears the shot and you see regret in his face. For a moment. And he goes through, like, the seven stages of death in two seconds. And then he's like, maybe she won't. That's what's so funny, because then you find out, no, lies the one who pulled the trigger and she's going to shoot her dad. Luckily, bullets don't go through people. So only the dad gets shot and not Frank standing behind him. But then the lie is like, he was a bastard, but he was still my father. I'm like, no, you flip that line. Like, why are you regretting shooting this bastard? You go, yeah, he was my dad, but he was a bastard. Like, you totally screwed up the line there. Like, why is this all of a sudden like, oh, I'm really conflicted about shooting my awful slave master father. I think they got it right. If they wanted to have emotion, if you wanted a badass moment, if you wanted lie to be a cold killer like Frank, then... You do it the way you're saying. Everything else was calculated by her. I don't know why all of a sudden now she's feeling regret. Eh, it's still murdering your dad. Yeah. I think they played it right. Arnie, I gotta disagree with you, though. I didn't think Mr. Kwai's facial... I thought that was terrible. I thought his reaction there was so... You know, he doesn't even jerk to look back. He doesn't have any... You're right, it's seven stages in two seconds. And I think that was actually terrible 
to the point that I laughed at it. The way he said, I guess she's not going to come around. I mean, it was just so, really, that's the verbal reaction written for this character? I thought it was bad to the point of being hilarious. Which is to say, I don't want them to change a thing, because <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was more of that intentional humor. I, w- I thought I was laughing with it, not at it, is what I'll say. I like to think I was doing a little bit of both. <laughs> But this film, you know, if we're going to use a car metaphor, it crashes into a wall after this fight. It's like, we're done. We're not going to spend any time telling you that Frank's charges are officially dropped. We're not going to go into any of that. We're just going to roll some credits. Well, you know he saved the day because the music comes in and it is the most literal music again. You saved my life. Like, okay, (laughs) he saved the day because the music is telling me really badly. Well, they opened the sea tainer and sure enough, there are people in it because I think it was kind of important at this point that we did see for sure that at least Lai's story was 90% accurate. It may only be half the people. We yeah. don't know what happened to the other container. <laughs> There's another sea tear that went off the cliff. <laughs> we tried. I don't know how they lost that in the editing or in the filming. I mean, it's... <laughs> Was the other one not Slaves? I don't know. I'd I'd have to watch it a third time just to pay attention because I wasn't until I saw them just open the one. And of course, Frank obviously could only drive one at a time. You're like, wait a minute, there were two. How do you know? But whatever. I'm actually okay with the abrupt ending because, you know, this movie's not been a story-fueled, emotion-based. It's like, hey... Dad's dead. Frank and Lai can remain together. The inspector showed up to clear his name. Hey, roll credits. For this kind of movie, I'm totally okay with that. I am too. I mean, I've seen a lot of movies that do this, primarily action films. I think the Lethal Weapon films are big on it. Isn't Lethal Weapon 4 the same story about Asians brought over as slaves? Why, yes, it is. Holy crap, yeah. (laughs) So do you think Lai and Frank are together when we watch the next one? Do you think this is love? It's a love story. The music keeps trying to convince me that it is. I don't know. I don't see him sticking around with her. I I don't know if, besides Frank, if we'll have anyone that's reoccurring in these films. Maybe the Inspector, because they're kind of like the Batman and Robin, but no. This is going to be like Bond, I bet. A different girl in every film. It's more like Batman and Alfred. I don't like Robin very much. So yeah, the inspector's like Robin. I mean, hey, let's give him Commissioner Gordon. I'd love to see in the next movie that, you know, the inspector is now, I don't know, commandant, whatever they'd call him in France. Well, let's see how fast we want to drive to the next movie. Jacob, Jerry, do you recommend the transporter? Jacob. I'm keeping the car in park. Like, look, I like action films, but, you know, you got films like Die Hard where they have tight storytelling and and great characterization. Yeah, I I could get off on some, like, base thrills from time to time, but I got to have the right tone to it. Like, Fast and Furious 6, that movie is way dumb, but it had the right tone for me where I'm laughing with it and I was going with it. This film, it's such a mishmash of everything, of really awful music of some weird slapstick, of some good fight scenes like the oil slick stuff, to some okay stuff like the hatchet scene, but I've never really won over, and it's because, yeah, Jason Statham is cool in this film, but you gotta have a little bit more. I need more of his story, a reason to really root for him. I see him doing some cool stuff, but I don't really care about anyone here. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's like a 30-minute YouTube film called Kung Fury that everyone was raving about because it's like all every crazy like 80s action cliche put into one half hour movie and I watched it and yeah it's got all those cliches but that's all it is it, it's just action scene after action scene there's not much story and that's how I feel here it's just I don't care about anyone and I don't know what the tone of this film is supposed to be I don't 
hate it, but I'm not engaged with it either. So that's a not recommend. Jerry. Wow. Uh, Jacob, I'm really surprised by that. I mean, I thought your tone throughout the conversation was, was leaning towards recommend, but I absolutely recommend this movie because, I mean, you know, the, the question for me of recommending a movie is, hey, is it entertaining? Is it worth 92 minutes of someone's time to, to watch this movie, especially a 13-year-old movie that you can rent easily and watch? It's probably on TV all the time. Absolutely watch this movie. I think Jason Statham does carry it as well he should. I mean, he's the, he's the main character, of course. I, I love the action and at least how he performs the action. He's really good at what he does. I'm kind of a car guy. I like the fact that it's centered around a guy who drives. He's really awesome at driving, but he can also kick butt and take names. Yeah, I mean, is this high art? Of course not. Is the plot silly? Sure. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are implausible, but... This is, to me, a good action movie. I, I really uh, enjoyed it. And yeah, hey, is it up there with the Die Hards and the Terminator 2s and really great action movies? But no, but that, that in of itself doesn't disqualify as being a recommend for me. So I, I absolutely recommend it. I was very thrilled to revisit this movie, having seen it a couple times over the years. So for me, an absolute recommend. I'm kind of going to come down the middle between you two. I mean... I said I saw this once before, and I couldn't remember it very well. There's a reason for that. I couldn't remember the plot because there isn't really much of one. There's just enough verbiage being spat around to tie together a whole bunch of action scenes. Jerry, you said this was based off of silent car race movies. It really feels that way. Jacob, you said you couldn't understand anybody. I don't think that matters. I don't think it matters to the screenwriters either. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a talky film. This is about just entertaining for entertainment's sake. And then the question just becomes, how well does it do the fights and the chases? And uh, yeah, I've already said the chases aren't as good as the Fast and the Furious films, but they're pretty good and they get pretty exciting. And the action, Jason Statham kicks some serious ass. Yes, there are some fast cuts, but there's also some skill and some good moves going on here. It's not A-list. It's not Jackie Chan. It's not the French connection even for car chases. But what it is, is moderately entertaining, which is enough for me to give it a weak recommend. I don't think you have to see it, but I think Statham is good in it. He establishes his persona here, and... The action is just pure fun, but you don't need to pay full attention to it. You don't even need to have the sound on when you watch it, because the best things about it are choreography and action. That said, I say this with the full hopes that I'm going to like the other ones more, because this film, they weren't intending a trilogy when they made it. They made it for $21 million. In the States, it made like $25 million back, basically broke even. Overseas, it didn't do much better, but... This thing had a hell of a home video life, and that's why three years later, we got the Transporter 2, and it's got over 150% of the budget of this one. I'm hopeful that now that they know it's a franchise and not just a little actioner starring this guy who's been in a couple other films, they're going to do it right. Well, I guess we'll see you next week. Yes, we will. And in the meantime, for people who want to hear more car racing films, head to the nowplayingpodcast.com archives where we've reviewed Steven Spielberg's film Duel, which is about a car versus truck on the road. We've reviewed all the Fast and Furious films, all the Mad Max films. All the James Bond films that have the BMW chases Jerry talked about. Those could all be found at our website or on our iTunes feed. 
So Jacob, Jerry, thank you for joining me. Until next week, au revoir, my friend. Tony, it's me. Get out of the house. Oh, no. I was just spreading the Madeleines. Oh, Forget the Madeleines. Just get out. And go where? Anywhere. The beach. Go to the beach. Oh, the beach. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. What's in this for you? Pleasure. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. I don't like to be late. Well, would you rather be late or dead? Also on our site, you can find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews of film series such as The Fast and the Furious, Tron, Terminator, Rocky, Robocop, Punisher, Mad Max, and more. Am I in heaven? Actually, you're in a bit of the shit. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Well, I said drop in any time, but I didn't need nowhere else to go. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to help keep the show going. You think this is the first time someone's held a gun to my head? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Ten minutes past the deadline. If the money doesn't arrive, I send a finger. Twenty minutes. Aha. Sounds like we have a deal, don't we, Mr. You have a deal. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Don't think of this as just another job. Think of it as a mission. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I always say the way a man treats his car is how he treats himself. Now Playing's Transporter Retrospective Series is edited by Heath, Anthony, and Arnie. We're going to need more men. Now playing credit narration by Brock. My boss said you're the man for the job. The Transporter films are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. <laughs> I like that. Rules. You can't get anything done in the world without rules. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. I'm still wondering if I want to know everything or nothing about you. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. It's over, Frank. It's over. Mission accomplished. We're going to talk about it all as we go through the three Transporter films existing leading up to The Transporter Reloaded. Hold on, let me say this again because I got confused with The Matrix. The Transporter Refueled. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even notice. I didn't know what it was called. I was just like, oh, reload. Okay, they load guns. It's cool. Yeah, Jerry, you mentioned a lot of movies. I'm like, yeah, seen it. It sucks. Yeah, seen it. It sucks. Specifically the bank job. Italian job? Oh, yeah. He's actually done both. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) One person's name that I did recognize this time. And how do you say Louis Leterrier? Leterrier. I went to to YouTube to validate that one. (laughs) But he does kick out lie. Like you mentioned, 
Jerry, because you both start with a J. It's like, ah. <laughs> you gotta think. The setup is done. We know who Frank is. He's gonna come ninja kick down this door, <laughs> like flying through the air, and then single-handedly beat off a whole bunch of... <laughs> <laughs> Wrong, uh, yeah. <laughs> Different movie. <laughs> that is, uh... The transport of triple X parody. <laughs> the trans boner. Yeah. <laughs> but even that's got, well, we won't get into <laughs> trans and boners and yeah. Oh my God. Sometimes I just don't know what I'm saying. 